Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the show. Brendan, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. And I hope it is Aaron, not Aaron, because I have a few friends called Aaron. <laughs> oh, it's just your standard Aaron, however you want to pronounce that, but nothing different. Just checking. Thanks again for taking the time to chat with me today. How is your week going so far? What's going on in your world? Well, I'm extremely busy right now preparing to uh, go to the Snowflake Summit, which is Snowflake's annual conference next week in Las Vegas. So got a lot of uh, presentations and meetings and so forth. Busy with that. Nice. I'm excited about this show today because you bootstrapped a services company. So maybe before we jump into that, you could just give us a quick overview about you and your background and what led you to start up this company. Sure. Try to keep that brief. Um, so I have my my career was mostly in high tech uh, B2B SaaS enterprise software companies. I, I lived in San Francisco Bay Area for about 20 years and and worked at a variety of enterprise software companies there. Um, primarily uh, Salesforce and most recently. So I was at Salesforce about eight years and built the data team there and really um, got very excited about data warehousing and actioning on data and how to leverage data across a company there. Uh, and so I, I'd always thought about starting something on my own, um, was never clear what that was exactly. In living in Silicon Valley, all everybody ever talks about are product companies, you know, and, and everybody's trying to start their own product startup. Um, and it's just the way, you know, the, the community works there. And I was always shied away from that a little bit, perhaps because I'd seen, I'd been working at product companies and I'd seen how difficult it is. And there's, there's so many challenges and, you know, the chances of um, success are so low. Um, I think it just didn't, didn't meet my risk tolerance profile personally. I didn't see a path. The path was very, very difficult. And so it wasn't clear to me what that path to success would look like for me there. Um, and I, when I thought about services, which I thought about for a long time, uh, I just I just saw a better path for me there. And I think that was, again, part of my personal risk profile. It matched that better. I could see success easier. And I think I just, my personality, uh, you know, my strengths were such that it, 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 it worked well with services. So I, I was technical. I've been a software engineer. I've got a lot of technical background. I've been a data engineer as well as I got more into data. Um, I've worked in all layers of what you call the data stack. So the backend data warehouse databases, the middle layer where you're doing a lot of data modeling and a lot of data coding. And then uh, the front end where um, you're typically building dashboards, reports, doing analytics uh, and so forth on data. And I'd worked in all of those layers over the years. And so I, I could see myself as a practitioner and I also could see myself selling, you know, and, and talking to customers and, cust you know, helping with customer success and the whole thing. And I was, I was also really good at doing that interpretation between the tech and the business. So I, I often found myself almost in a product management role in my past 
life, you know, um, in making interpretations between, in my case, data, data warehouses and the business and how they can leverage data and what it means and all of that. So it just seemed like consulting made a lot of sense. I could come into, I knew I could go into a client, I could both solve problems and I could help them understand how to use the solutions and how to really make sure that the, what we were doing would applied to a business problem specifically. Um, and so I, you know, I had, when I had a moment to think about that, I had a chance to uh, consider my next career move back in 2017. I had um, already built out a, uh, what we now are calling the modern cloud data stack. So I had built a data modern cloud stack for a company I was at, and I had become essentially a customer of quite a few of the vendors that come together for a complete solution. Um, couple of the big ones are Snowflake, which is a, a cloud data warehouse, which is taking over the data warehousing and really data platform market these days. And then um, Looker was another one. And Looker is a, uh, a business intelligence tool that was a late stage startup back then with about 150 people out of Santa Cruz, California, but had uh, have since been purchased by Google and is now part of the Google suite. So I, I had worked with those tools even back in 2017. And when I decided to start the, uh, consulting, um, I, you know, I, I could see, you know, I could even see what technology I would work in. So I wanted to work in the technology I was familiar with that I liked. And I realized, oh yeah, I could just start implementing those, those tools and helping customers right away. Then I could probably grow a company from there. All right. Thank you for sharing. It opens up nicely for some of our audience who may be thinking about like, how do you go about thinking or paving the way to bootstrap a company? I think you covered some of that thought process on how you did it. Is there anything else before we jump in that you would like to share about how to start building and paving the way to bootstrap your company? Yeah, sure. I mean, first you need a good last name to use in the title of your company. So my last name's Climber. I used Data Climber as the name <laughs> of my company. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding, but it was actually coming up in the name. Name is not easy. You know, there's so many very lame um, plays on words you can think of uh, for a name of a company. So when it's your own name, it's bootstrapped yeah. automatically when you're using your family name <laughs> or your name. <laughs> exactly. That's the beauty of bootstrapping. You get to make these decisions without anybody else's uh, input. <laughs> So I called my company data climber and .com was available. So I like the domain was available. I said, great, let's do that. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things, but um, what I would say is a, it, I, I built up my confidence over the years by working in the industry. So it's nice to have industry experience, um, especially at some enterprise companies, cloud companies as well. So I, um, building up that expertise, both from a tech standpoint and from a business process, and operational standpoint, you know, it was nice because then I really felt like I understood how to both um, think about solutioning and, and basically selling a solution to start with, but also how to implement it and how to do it the right, right the first time with best practices. So in consulting and services, you really, that's the name, the name of the game is the level of service and the kind of approach you can take. And so I, I, it was nice to have all of that under my belt. Um, and then... Uh, you know, the other really key piece uh, was relationships. I mean, it all comes down to relationships and network in a lot of ways as well. Um, for me, it was a lot easier to start because I already had relationships with vendors that I wanted to work with. So 
because I was already a customer in this case of Looker. And um, it wasn't actually, uh, there was a couple other vendors in there, but Looker was the primary one that I saw as the probably the, the gateway for me to get into the business. And that was because uh, it was the front end to the business user. So it was easier to talk to business users about the value of something like Looker because it was literally what they were going to use to get value out of their data. So building dashboards, reports, doing analytics. But it also has this um, a semantic layer, which is a, a layer of code that basically interprets raw data or, or technical data that, that you need SQL to really understand and um, build the data model and um, publishes a data dictionary essentially of all the fields that you could derive from your data. So even metrics like you say you're looking at customer churn or customer acquisition or whatever your metrics are, um, you can calculate those, build them all there technically in that layer, surface them up to end users and the business users don't have to know any of that. They just can use it. You know, they can drag and drop fields and, and analyze data really easily. So I love the fact that there's was, there was a lot of work to do in that semantic layer to make it um, perfect for the end user. And I, I, I both, so there was a lot of engineering work to do that I could do. And also I just, that was part of what one of my passion was. My passion was showing business users, non-technical users, how to get a lot of value out of something that normally would have taken a, an engineer or some kind of technical person who knew SQL and who could query data. So I, I liked all that. So I, I was able to go to a company like that. The other thing, by the way, before I get into that, that is that they were a they were the right size. You know, if they were Microsoft, I probably can't go to Microsoft as a one person independent contractor and get any kind of attention at all from them, right? So, I, so the fact that there was a small startup with about 100, 150 people, and they only had a few partners at the time, services partners. Um, so they would talk to me, and they knew I was already an expert, and I was already a customer. I was a former customer of theirs, so. I had relationships already in the company. So I could, I could contact my former CSM and my former AE and even former uh, or people I knew that were in product. And I could say, hey, I'm gonna, I want to start a consulting company. I want to partner with you. Uh, and I want to help your customers be successful. So introduce me to a few customers that are struggling right now and I'll make sure that they, we, turn, we turn them around. Right, so it's a win-win. So they, uh, they introduced me to a couple of customers and I was able to take that and sell services and, uh, and make them successful over the next six months. So that that's how I started. You know, it's, I actually had my first client within three weeks. So that's a really cool story. And I was going to ask you, like, did you lean totally on Looker to bootstrap or did you have to use your own money if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I personally funded it. It didn't take much funding though. I literally was not working for maybe a month, you know, because I, I, had, I had left a, a company, a, a job at Pop Sugar and about a month. And I was able to get a client again within a month and then start paying the bills. So it was easy to start, um, to start for me. Uh, so if you can get that paid gig, you know, within the, within the time, whatever runway you have <laughs> to do that, then, then you're up to the races, you know, consulting too, you know, you're, you're going to be, um, you know, you can, you, you can charge a decent rate pretty quickly if you're doing anything that's, um, of higher value. And especially for the custom work or something like that, I was doing custom high value data work. So it's easy to charge enough to definitely um, be able to supplement my my former salary and and start building up, even start building up some cash so that I could eventually uh, bring in some help. But um, but yeah, to answer your question, you know, if you don't have the funding right off the bat, or it's going to take you longer to build up the service to get your first client um, to get a rate that is acceptable to you, 
uh, you know, yeah, you might have to look for some funding outside, you know, if it's usually going to be a friends and family kind of thing, um, you know, you know, there's not, you can't really go to a VC or any kind of formal investor um, and raise money for a services firm. That's pretty hard. Um, so you'll have to look for, through your network for funding. Um, and if you do that, uh, you can either bring them into the company and maybe have a co-founder. Uh, that's one way to do it. Or you can offer them basically some equity or some, uh, some kind of ex even an exit warrant that says, Hey, if I ever sell this company, I'm going to give you X percent of the proceeds. And this is what you're getting for investing in me early on. So there's lots of ways to reward your investors. And by the way, I've spoken to other founders who actually did consulting to get their first round of funding. You can also productize your consulting business if it makes sense. So you can diversify between services and product. So that's also another model that I think works quite well for some folks. Yeah, those are great points. I mean, if you have any kind of shops and product and you want to have a product, I, I, lo I love the idea of consulting first because you're going to, there's all sorts of benefits. You're going to get tons of feedback from clients. You're going to really have empathy for them and what they really need. You're going to make sure there's product market fit, all sorts of great uh, outcomes of that. And you're, you're right. Um, absolutely. A lot of services companies have some sort of product. Uh, we've thought about that for years at Data Climber and we, we are doing a little bit of that, but uh, we've shied away from it to some degree because it is, as anybody knows who runs a product, that's a whole nother can of worms. It is a whole nother kind of business. So you really have to be able to manage both, which can get hard as you scale. So you just trade offs you have to think through as you think about productizing. But having any kind of recurring revenue as a services business is, is a great way to diversify your revenue and and uh, build up another. That's actually what we were going to cover today. Like, how do you scale your services bootstrap business? Can you walk us quickly through the go-to-market stage of the growth scale and exit framework that you kindly shared with me? Yeah, I can also I can talk about the way to do it right and the way to do it <laughs> without much, much uh, direction, which is... I mean, I, when I started this, um, I was just, everything was kind of being played by ear. I wanted the, I wanted my clients to help guide me in where, where I'm going to go. I didn't have a clear plan of attack. I didn't have a go-to-market strategy at the beginning. Um, I was not even sure how big I could grow the company, right? I wasn't sure if it was going to even big, get bigger than me at first. So I didn't have big grand plans when I very first started. I had a vision. The vision was, yes, let's build a full stack data engineering consulting firm, meaning engineers that can work in every layer of the, the solutions that we provide um, and help a lot of clients. But I didn't have a specific industry. I didn't have a, a specific use case in mind. Um, that's kind of the hard thing about the industry I'm in is data warehousing. And data warehousing every applies to every industry, every company, every department. So you you can play anywhere in, in, the, in the space. And um, I had to kind of, I just wanted to see what clients wanted to work with me and start to go from there. So for instance, my fourth client was uh, the San Francisco Giants, uh, major league baseball team. And that was because I got introduced by actually a looker contact um, and uh, built a relationship with them and was very successful in, in an implementation there. And today, major league sports is a, a big vertical for data climber. And it started with that one introduction. And so I let that guide me because um, we were successful there and we could build um, a roadmap through a, a sports vertical. 
And even today, we're, that's where we're actually talking about creating products that um, we can sell to the sport vertical specifically. So um, anyway, so but to scale, um, you know, ideally you would have that. Uh, you would have more in a lot mind about where you're going. What I've learned in the retrospectively, so more recently, what I've actually learned is that the more you focus on a niche, the better. And, I, and again, that was really hard for me because we could play anywhere in any company, any size company too, pretty much. I mean, once a company hits even uh, 25, 50 people, a data warehouse becomes uh, really almost a necessity. And then it just goes up from there. So small, medium and large size businesses and enterprise as well. What I would say, sorry to interrupt, is that sometimes even if you knew that, it's easier said than done because you need those customer uh, exchanges. You need a lot of trial and error to see if you're a good fit for a specific niche and or vertical. So yeah, I, I agree niching down, it's great, but it also takes time sometimes depending on your resources to find your niche because you need the, you need to uh, validate that that's your niche. So therefore you need enough customer facing conversations and uh, demos and POCs, et cetera. That's very true. Um, I think there's a, there's a, you know, I think it's worth trying though. So you pick something, try it for a little bit. I mean, as soon as you have one or two clients in that niche, then everything gets easier, right? You have references, you have use cases you understand, you have business cases. You can talk to the next prospect much more targeted way in a much more knowledgeable way. So it just leads naturally to a lot more business if you can do that right. And you don't waste a lot of time on stuff you're never going to work on again. So uh, there's some sort of balance there. I think for us, that was just particularly hard, partly because it's a hot space. Everybody needs a data system. And so we got calls from lots of industries. And of course, we would take a lot of them early on because we were taking any business we could get. Um, so. It didn't, I wasn't incented by the market to focus. <laughs> and so we didn't focus as much, but now we're, now we're focusing more, the company more as, as, uh, as things evolve. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. okay. As you're growing the business, you, you need to get those first few customers in to show that this thing is working. And if we will move to scale, the last time we spoke, you talked about going from working in the business to on the business and how that has changed the business strategy. So can you talk a little bit about what you learned by doing that and when you came to that realization? Yeah, so I, I I did what was probably a very classic approach was just do as much as I can myself until I can't do it anymore. So I grew the company to maybe 10, 15 people by myself. And I and even that um, was was really, again, just bootstrapping, watching expenses carefully, right? Making sure you had low overhead and that I had enough revenue coming in and projects coming in. And I could predict at least with two or three months out my sales, I, I could I could understand how many people I can hire. So I slowly hired, again, delivery folks. So, so we were all delivery and I was I was the only marketing and sales and, you know, I was running the company, but I hired just delivery people and we kept executing. And, um, you know, as long as we focused on keeping customers happy, that led to repeat business and um, it led to referrals and more business and so on. So at, at some point when I got to be again, about 15 people, I realized I got to, I got to start scaling. I can't, I'm scaled out. Um, and I don't want to work a hundred and whatever hours a week anymore. So, um, 
So I started hiring, um, thinking about succession plans and thinking about hiring managers um, and, and just understanding where I could scale the business. So, you know, the first thing actually for me was to bring in an operations person that can take, off, take over operations so I could focus on sales, for instance. Um, so I hired who's now my COO and also CFO. And uh, he's been running operations ever since um, and doing a great job. And uh, so that, that helped me focus on the sales. And then um, pretty soon after that, I wanted to bring in more um, management of the delivery folks because I had 20 people at that point. And that was too much to manage. And even just forecasting capacity and managing projects um, was important. So I brought in somebody to run the delivery team and actually manage the team and think through all that. So that, that relieved me of being able to do that. Again, I could focus even more on sales. So I kept um, delegating and hiring a, a management layer in a, you know, a very um, thoughtful way. Make, again, watching revenue, making sure we're profitable because we're bootstrapped, didn't have a deep bank account or funding source to draw from. So I had to just be careful that we always had, you know, cash flow because cash flow is the oxygen that your company breathes and you need, you need that. Um, and then, uh, then kind of kept doing that slowly added more and more. We bought, uh, we hired a marketing leader and built a marketing team. We hired a sales leader, built a sales team. And it wasn't until all those functions could be handled that I could really step back and finally really think about just strategic uh, direction for the company. Um, so there's a lot of s series of steps to do that, but that's the goal. And I didn't, I, I, that's something, I mean, looking back again, I didn't even realize what that role would look like or what that meant, really meant for me four years ago. I wasn't thinking, it, it was hard to imagine me not working in the day-to-day -day business, right? Because <laughs> I grew the thing from scratch. But what I find, when I did was when I was able to step out a lot of this and delegate and, you know, trust my team and build trust, uh, it, it's wonderful because then I actually can do all the things that you always wanted to do, but never had time to do, or never felt like you had time to do like actual go-to-market strategies. Um, really thinking through what we're talking about and how do you get niche? Where do you really focus? How do you, you know, what is the next two years of the company or horizon two, horizon three kind of, um, strategy look like and how are you going to keep growing the business thank you for sharing all of that and i think we'll jump to the third section of the show i think this is something that's not spoken about a lot what do exit plans and strategies look like from a bootstrap company yeah so when i started i definitely always wanted to have some sort of exit i had no idea what that would look like when i started i didn't i just wanted to see at first if we could get to you know 10 people and have a viable business um I'll, I'll do a plug here for a, um, a group that I'm a member of now called Collective 54. And what it is, is a, it's a peer group for professional services, founders, CEOs, leaders. Um, and it was founded by a, a guy named Greg Alexander. He wrote a book back in 2018 timeframe called The Boutique. And the whole book is about how to, how to uh, start, grow, scale, and exit a services firm. So. Now I have much more of a blueprint of how to do this that I didn't have. I, I just, I only recently um, read the book and learned of the group about six months ago. So I'm pretty new into it, but I've learned so much from that, that I would, that I would then share with you now because that's, I just understand so much more. So the way, the way that Collective 54 and Greg would, would think about this is if I had grown my company to 10, 15 people, but, but managed it myself and just stopped there and just kind of. Keep, kept it level, 
I would have a lifestyle business. You know, I'd, 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 I'd just be 100% owner. I would manage the whole thing. But if you're not growing, you can manage that and you can have, you know, a decent income every year and you can have a lifestyle. Um, but you really can't sell a lifestyle business. You know, very few people are going to buy that. It's not going to be worth that much. So if you do want to grow it further and have a, a bigger exit down the road, you really have to get to the point where we've gotten a data climber where you, where you can scale yourself out or you can delegate to the point where you as a founder or CEO can step back from the day-to-day and really uh, map out the future for the company and continue to scale it that way and, and hire enough in, in every aspect of the business to be able to, again, have a, have a, a leader in charge of, you know, all the different pieces. Um, so doing that is, is hard because now you're adding a lot of overhead to your company and in services, I mean, overhead is, you know, directly into your margins and all, you know, 90% of your costs are people. And so uh, it's a real balance to balance your uh, net, your operating margin and net margin um, as you grow. So you, have, you just have to do that as best you can and as carefully as you can. Um, but if you can do that and then develop processes internally that are going to scale, then you can continue to scale. But there's always a, there's always a, a, it's always tough to both keep the demand going, especially in a services business where you're having to look for a new business constantly. So that's the big difference between product and service, right? When you, when you get a new customer, they're not, you know, the customer lifetime is a lot shorter in services than it is for a product company. And so you often are, you know, we're constantly looking for new work. So it's, it's, uh, it's you to scale, you really have to have, goes back to that niche focus, goes back to your operational efficiencies. Um, and, uh, and really finding talent, that's the other big thing. So yeah, if you want to go beyond a, a lifestyle business, um, you know, you're going to have to hire a management layer in your company that can take over the day-to-day operations. Um, and, and, you know, eventually even think about separating out the role of CEO versus founder. Um, you know, uh, if you're a founder and CEO, as you get to a certain size, you probably want to hire or bring in a CEO and, and step aside as a founder. And, the, and found, the founder role really is about that full strategy, long-term vision, long-term go-to-market, where the CEO is managing the day-to-day really operations across the entire company and is, is looking at maybe the next 12 months. So that would be the difference. You know, CEO is a little more worried about this year and a founder should be looking at next year and the year after. Um, what else would I say? Oh, so, so back, sort of back to the whole scale process. Um, so the, the, the way the, the boutique and Greg Alexander would define the phase of scale is once you've gotten to the point where you have that management team. So, you, so before you have a management team, you're just growing your business and you're in growth mode. Once you have that management team and you've stepped out of the day-to-day, then you're in scale, more scale mode. And you can really think about how to scale your business and make sure it's, a, it's scalable and sustainable. Um, and then the last phase would be the exit phase. And the exit phase... I've learned a lot about in the last year, um, should be thought of as not a quick, short thing. I mean, this is something that could take an, a five years. Um, you know, if you really do it right, you, you know, planning for it is important, understanding it, learning about what that process looks like, learning about all the options, and then actually going through a process. You know, the, the final part of a, an exit process can take a year to go through an actual sale process. So exiting is not a short, short and sweet 
you know, thing, it, it, it can, it's something you should prepare for, for years and years and years. I so think. actually what you're recommending yeah. is to work with a trusted advisor or a boutique partner, like the ones you mentioned to help you build that path to exit because usually the exit happens with VCs help along the way because they've done it, you know, X amount of times versus a bootstrap company. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're going to get help from peers. So I would re highly recommend creating more of a peer network for yourself. Collective 54 is a great peer network for me. Um, I can get a lot of advice from them. Some of them have gone through a sale before. So just a lot of advice from peers. Um, and mentors, absolutely. Um, and then for, for services companies in general, um, in, there are a lot more investment bankers in the business now that will help facilitate a sale than there were five, 10 years ago. So there really is a market now for, for services firms. And so um, working with an investment banker when you're ready for a sale is, is the, the ideal path because they're going to play that role as the VC would have played for a product company. Yeah, they take you through the process. I mean, their job is to market you, sell a company and take you through the process. And they're a professional and that's what they do. And I know we're, we're running up on time. So maybe one last quick question to end off here, unless you want to add anything else. But would you say now is a good time to get into the services business with the current ecosystem? And we mentioned earlier in the show that it's become very difficult to bring a new product into such a crowded marketplace these days. What What's your take on the services market today? Yeah, well, for sure, stick with your passion, first of all. So go where, go where your strengths are, your passion is. Uh, if, if that's not a factor as much and you do have a choice, um, you know, services... Yes, the whole world of services is continuing to expand. Companies are more and more comfortable with hiring services and outsourcing a lot of work to professional services firms that are just really good at what they do. Um, you know, even to the point where companies are out are often hiring firms for marketing and even for sales, um, you know, for key aspects of the business. So it's a great time to be in services in general. Um, and yes, I, I think there's more and more opportunities. And even like I was saying, there's, there's more and more of a market for an exit for a, a services company as well, more than there, there's ever been before. So maybe it's the gig economy. It's just all these tr macroeconomic trends that are um, definitely favoring services companies. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Aaron. And is there anything else before we wrap up that you would like to share with your other fellow bootstrappers? Yeah, just do it. Face your fears. If there's a fear there, face it and just do it. You'll always learn no matter what you do. Um, even if it doesn't work out the first time, you'll learn so much. It's totally worth it. So I would recommend that everybody follows their dreams and just tries it awesome well thanks so much Aaron and if anyone wants to connect with you pick your brain where's the best place to reach out yeah you can find find me on on our, our website dataclimber.com that's d-a-t-a -A, and then my last name which is c-l-y-m-e-r um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well feel free to reach out there perfect we'll add all that to the show notes so Awesome. Uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, thank you for coming on to the Founder Pack podcast. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. It was great to talk to you. Likewise. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack podcast with Brendan Rod, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, 
then share the channel and ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.